Hi, I'm Yusuf Hassan, and you're listening to Africa Aware, a podcast from the Chatham House Africa program. Welcome back to Africa Aware. It's great to have you listening. Countries in West Africa are facing increasingly dire regional security and governance challenges, with the Sahel region alone accounting for 43% of global deaths caused by terrorism. Overspill of insecurity and violent extremism has also seen West African states along the Gulf of Guinea recording terrorist and extremist attacks, including in northern Togo and Benin. The Economic Community of West African States, otherwise known as ECOWAS, has historically had a strong record of regional norm setting on governance and democracy. Yet ECOWAS now faces significant challenges in how to reorient its role and credibility amid a rise of military and constitutional coups since 2020. On this episode, I'll be speaking to Ambassador Abdul Fattah Musa, ECOWAS's Commissioner for Political Affairs, Peace and Security. Across this wide-ranging interview, Ambassador Musa outlined the response of ECOWAS to the proliferation of coups in the region, including most recently in Niger, and the organization's strategic vision for tackling the complex peace and security challenges in the Sahel and West Africa. We hope you enjoy listening. Abdel Fattah Musa is the ECOWAS Commissioner for Political Affairs, Peace and Security, a position he has held since July 2022. Prior to this, Ambassador Musa worked in the Africa office for the United Nations Department of Political Affairs in New York and was also previously posted to roles in the African Union as well as ECOWAS between 2005 and 2014. Ambassador Musa graduated from the University of Ghana and holds a thesis from the Lomonosov Moscow State University in Russia. Ambassador Musa, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you very much and thank you for having me. We, of course, find ourselves in an incredibly busy period, especially for someone like yourself in the role that you hold. I want to start immediately by asking, what role does ECOWAS see for itself in promoting democratic consolidation, good governance and human rights in the region as an organization representing the interests of West African states? ECOWAS was set up in 1975, principally as an economic integration body. And because the region descended at times into anarchy, particularly immediately after the end of the Cold War, ECOWAS had to readjust its mandate. Instead of focusing solely on economic integration, we had to create the preconditions for economic development. And that entails indulging in democratic governance and also peace and security issues in the region. You know, so that was when, from about 1990s, ECOA started developing mechanisms actually to promote uh, democratic governance, you know, in the region. And uh, on the continent, it was the first organization to actually come up with a protocol that guides the behavior of uh, leaders in the region as far as elections are concerned in terms of tenure of office under what we call the constitutional convergence criteria. You know, so because we saw the inextricable link between democracy, peace and security, and economic integration, you know, with bad governance and with the insecurity in the region, nobody can reasonably talk about development or economic integration. And so that is why we put those two 
on the same pedestal. I, of course, mentioned at the very beginning how busy you are. One of the reasons you're incredibly busy is just days ago we saw the situation in Niger with the attempted coup and now actual coup of President Mohamed Bazoum. My question for you now is what work and what is ECOWAS's response to the current situation in Niger, but also to the proliferation of coups that seem to be occurring in the region? The, the problem we have today is the whole of the Central Sahel Belt is today under the rule of military jantes. The jantes, you have got Burkina Faso, you've got Mali, you've got Niger, you've got Chad beyond the West African region. You know, so for us, our efforts have been to reverse that epidemics of coup d'etats in the region. And so already those countries that were already under military rule, we have given them up to by the end of uh, 2024 to return their countries to constitutional rule. In the three countries, you are talking about Guinea, you are talking about Mali, and you are talking about Burkina Faso. And ECOWAS is very determined to make an example of Niger to say that our zero tolerance for power obtained through unconstitutional means will be upheld. You know, so the, the chair of the Equas Authority, President Bola Tinubu of Nigeria, has already deployed a high-level delegation to the country to let them know what Equas is thinking about the takeover and to try to convince them to free President Bazoum, who is still under arrest, you know, under them, and to reinstate constitutional order in the country immediately. The Equas heads of state are meeting in emergency session on Sunday, this very Sunday, and further decisions will be taken, you know, including deploying missions of different sorts and also the possible what imposition of sanctions, very severe sanctions on the country if they reject the ultimatums of, you know, ECOWAS. You, that is the immediate restoration of constitutional order. We are not going to start haggling with them again like we've done with the other regimes, and that in a very short period of time, which will be determined by the heads of state, there must be fresh elections. That is, if President Bazoum is not reinstated. But our preferred option is his liberation, and his reinstatement as the legitimate and legal president of the country. So those are all the measures that we are taking so far. And we are happy to know that so many partners, international partners, are supporting ECOWAS in condemning what has taken place in Niger. And so we are going to build on that momentum. And I think you'll see more decisions taken by the ECOWAS authority on Sunday regarding the military in that country. I'm incredibly thankful to you for that robust answer. Our listeners, I'm sure, are going to really appreciate an update on exactly what ECOWAS is doing. To follow up on another area, which of course is of much contention in the region, and that is term limits. The regional norm and the discussion around the regional norm yes. and the maintenance of the regional norm. Yes. What challenge for ECOWAS is there in ensuring that this regional norm is maintained? In terms of the supplementary protocol on democracy and good governance, that is actually the guiding principle for democratic behavior in our region, in West Africa. That document does not have term limits. What we are insisting on is that 
sitting presidents must respect their own constitutions. What the constitution tell them, they have to obey them. And any unconstitutional change of government by twisting constitutions or removing term limits and other things would be unacceptable to ECOWAS. Two years ago, ECOWAS started a process of trying to make two terms mandatory for the whole region, that no head of state will stay beyond two presidential term limits. Okay, and since ECOWAS takes decisions by consensus, we could not get the consensus of all the member states. So ECOWAS is still working on it. And before the end of the year, a new proposal is going to be on the table. Instead of imposing term limits, we know that apart from the countries under military rule, some of them, and uh, maybe the Gambia, all other member states of ECOWAS have term limits in their constitutions. So, The approach now is that, okay, all member states can review their constitutions. That is a sovereign right of each member state, but that no review of the constitution by a certain president must impact the term limits under which that president is ruling. So that is very simple. You can change your constitution. But once you are the one changing your constitution, then you are not going to sort of say that, okay, since I'm changing the constitution, the term that I've already had is over. We are going to start anew because of a new constitution. So if you are the president and then you change the constitution, then it means those new terms of the constitution, particularly the term limit, do not apply to you. You know, so I think if that is accepted, then we are already halfway through resolving that issue of unconstitutional changes of government or maintenance of power by sitting president. Because almost all sitting presidents who cling on to power, they do it by reviewing their constitutions. It is through the constitution. So if we can eliminate the issue of term limits from the constitutional review, you know, then we are halfway through resolving that issue. To continue on, we are currently seeing a number of and actually ever-increasing overlapping mandates of security initiatives in the region. Yes. In the ECOWAS region, including the G5 Sahel, Mm -hmm. the Accra Initiative, and the occasional ad hoc peacekeeping Mm -hmm. operation that might be suggested. Where does ECOWAS see its role within a very crowded peacekeeping scene? Mm -hmm. And is there a plan to collaborate Mm -hmm. to create synergy rather than competition? Mm -hmm. What ECOWAS has observed is that in all foreign countries and continental ones who are not lazy, all of them have got strategies, for example, for the Sahel. As we speak, there are over 22 strategies in the Sahel. 22 uncoordinated, on the one hand, it shows the importance that partners uh, attach to the uh, developments in the Sahel, right? On the other hand, there are too many cooks in the kitchen without any coordination among them. And then beyond those strategies, we've got, for example, the multinational joint task force in the Lake Chad Basin, which uh, encompasses Nigeria, Niger, Chad, and uh, Cameroon, you've got the G5 Sahel, 
also of the Central Sahelian countries, together with Chad and Mauritania. Mali has already withdrawn from it, you know, already for reasons that are known to many. Then now we have the Accra Initiative, which has been something like a coalition of the willing of coastal countries in response to the southward drift of terrorism towards the littoral states, you know, of West Africa. And then overarching all this is also the initiative by the United Nations, the African Union, ECOWAS, and the G5 Sahel about uh, what they call the high-level panel on security and development. One of the core objectives is actually to make sense of all the initiatives in the Sahel and then see how they can be federated how they can be integrated to produce something like a positive impact in the region. So, ECOWAS sees itself, and I think the whole high-level panel, which is uh, under the chairmanship of the former president of uh, Niger, Mohamedou Bazoum, is already gravitating towards the conclusion that ECOWAS must play the central coordinating role when it comes to security and development in the region. So while we are not against all the initiatives, they must all radiate from a central point, which is coordinated by ECOWAS, for example. And we've already started doing that because uh, we are in the process of developing an MOU with Accra Initiative, where the Accra Initiative becomes an operational tool of the broader regional counterterrorism plan of action. You know, for example, we are going to have the same relations with, say, multinational joint task force and all other initiatives. So this is where we are coming and we hope that uh, by September this year, you know, I think uh, all that process, the high-level panel, its ideas will crystallize into something very concrete that the UN can actually, African Union and others can then latch on you know, to make sure that we have an umbrella mechanism, you know, for dealing with the multifaceted challenges that uh, the Sahel, you know, faces uh, today. The other main factor, you know, is that ECOWAS does not lack the human resources to confront most of the challenges in the Sahel and in West Africa. But ECOWAS does not have the quantum of resources that are required. And I think this is where the responsibility of the United Nations, which are the ultimate responsibility for global peace and security, to see counterterrorism in West Africa as its responsibility. And if ECOWAS is leading in fighting terrorism, then the UN has an obligation to provide it with adequate resources in order to carry out this assignment on behalf of the global community. You know, and this is what ECOWAS is pushing for right now. Uh, that is number one. Number two, ECOWAS itself is mobilizing its own resources. Our plan of action and then, you know, the counterterrorism force is going to cost the region about $2.3 billion annually. And the heads of state of the region have said the member states must contribute on a mandatory basis. So we are going to have a meeting of the ministers of finance and the ministers of defense in order to develop the modalities for actually mobilizing that resources internally. And so that any other thing we get 
outside those resources will be a bonus. But I think we must put our money where our mouth is. And so we want to rely on regional resources to fight terrorism that has become an existential threat to everybody in the region. Incredible answer again, Ambassador. Really, really helping our audience understand the real unique challenges that exist in such a crowded environment. Now, one thing you just mentioned was the withdrawal of the Malian junta from G5 Sahel. Yes. We also saw their request for withdrawal of the UN troops and the UN mission last year. We saw Ivorian soldiers held captive for months in Bamako. So how does ECOWAS remain meaningfully involved in the Malian crisis at a time when the leadership is increasingly withdrawing from mediation mechanisms and actually geopolitics seems to be playing for many, a more important role in determining what's happening in the country versus local actors and regional actors. Yeah. What is happening in Mali and the processes in the broader Sahel cannot be divorced from what is happening globally. We have moved from a unipolar world in the late 1980s to a multilateralism at some stage and we are now moving to multipolarity around the world so that uh, either a country which is behaving badly or nicely is spoiled for choice uh, with regard to partners who are going to help it. And it is very difficult to build global consensus. But one thing I will tell you is that, yes, it is true, Mali has requested the withdrawal of MINUSMA from the country, it has withdrawn from G5 Sahel for reasons that it has espoused later, earlier and all that. But uh, let me assure you, Mali has not withdrawn from ECOWAS. Mali was one of the founding fathers of ECOWAS and one of the founding fathers of the African Union when it was the Organization of African Unity. So Mali has got that very serious attachment to some of these organizations. And ECOWAS had deployed the mediator in Mali in the person of uh, President Billy Jonathan, the former president of Nigeria, is there. ECOWAS facilitated the transition, the political transition in the country, which we are still overseeing. The mechanism is still there in Mali. So as far as ECOWAS is concerned, Mali has not indicated any intention or whether in words or in practice that uh, it is abandoning ECOWAS. And as far as we are concerned, Mali remains an important member of the ECOWAS community. And all our differences are that the country must, in the shortest possible time, transfer power back to civilians. And then everything will be you know, normal as far as ECOWAS is concerned. And we also hope with time, uh, it will also mend its fences with the neighbors and then the international community as a whole. And like I said before, you can't divorce what is happening in the country from what is happening around us in the world, whether it is the war in Ukraine, whether it is the Russia on one side, the West on the other, and then the influx of so many other partners into Africa, particularly in the Sahel. You know, you've got the Middle Eastern countries, you've got Turkey, which is involved, you've got China, very active over there. So the thing is that many of these countries are spoiled for choice, and it depends upon what they need the partnership for. 
either to play the spoiler role or a constructive role. And ECOWAS, of course, has got its principles. And then all we insist on is that all member states who are members of ECOWAS abide by its rules, its protocols, you know, which enshrine democratic principles as a core value to become a member of the ECOWAS community. And we are insisting on that. To provide another area of discussion, which I think the world is more and more invested in, climate change. Climate change and its connectivity to security challenges has been a really big topic of discussion on the African continent over recent years. So could you kindly provide an overview of the work that ECOWAS is doing to mitigate these challenges and these issues in response to current but also future impacts? Mm -hmm. Climate change is a front and back of whatever is happening in the world. I think we are all privy to what is happening in Greece, you know, where the Secretary General is talking about not climate warming, but climate boiling, you know, today. And we should also know that Africa is perhaps the least polluter in the world and has some of the worst impacts of climate change. And nowhere is this so visible than in the Sahel. You know, for example, it is about the cyclical droughts and also what is the flooding that we have seen in the country. We have seen relations between communities and various professions suffering under the impact of climate change because herders do not have enough land for their cattle and others to graze. Farmers think that Headers are encroaching on their land, and this has generated a lot of conflict, you know, around them. So what is ECOWAS doing? One, ECOWAS is involved in a whole lot of activities in terms of uh, alternative sources of energy. It is one of the flagship projects of ECOWAS when it comes to alternative sources of energy, whether it is wind farms all other. That is one. There is also advocacy globally, you know, for the North and most of the countries that are responsible for the pollution to help with the initiatives on the continent because there are a whole lot of local initiatives in terms of reforestation, which is taking place because you can see the Sahara Desert coming down towards the coastal countries and to arrest it, there are a whole lot of you know, issues that are happening. To stop deforestation, there are serious campaigns that ECOWAS is uh, promoting in that area. And uh, you know, like we talked about, the solar energy and other that we are involved in. And then, of course, uh, globally, the whole issue about advocacy is so important because I don't know that the Sahel is bearing the brunt of uh, the global warming that uh, we are seeing all over the world today. So this is uh, where we are. So there's a lot of education that is going on in terms of smart agriculture, you know, in the animal husbandry and other that we are encouraging and also trying to resolve uh, what is it, interprofessional rivalries and other things between, you know, for example, fisher folk, herdsmen and then also the farmers in the region. So there's a lot of mediation efforts also that ECOWAS is involved in it because of the impact of climate change on intercommunal relations and things like that. So there are 
various aspects, you know, of it. But I don't think ECOWAS has got the ultimate tools, you know, really, to fight climate change without a major contribution from the major polluters of the world. You know, that is what I want to say, you know, with regard to uh, the issue on the climate. Thank you once again, Ambassador. To come to an end, a key theme for this podcast is African agency, which is often mischaracterized as African solutions for African problems. We view it more that Africa can provide solutions to global issues. Yes. So Ambassador Musa, what can global policymakers learn from West African states in terms of enhancing peace and security? Yeah. I think um, the very culture, African culture, itself is a very powerful tool in peace and security. Number one, the African traditional way of life depends a lot on consensus building. And this is a major factor underpinning ECOWAS's philosophy on preventive diplomacy. You know, for example, when we deploy mediators or the Council of the Wise, for that matter, ECOWAS, uh, you know, it is people, respected people, the African culture also has got that hierarchy, you know, which is there where the young respect the elderly. It is part of the African culture. Women have got their role. The youth have got their role. And all this, you know, before even uh, people started talking about gender equality and other things, it was being practiced in Africa itself with women, even if, you, if, you, if you've learned the history of the Amazons, where women, you know, started even in professional armed forces in the community before today. The whole world is struggling to have enough women in uh, the police, in the uniform services. This has been part and parcel also of the African culture a long time ago. So this consensus building and then the importance of peer pressure and peer influence in Africa is also one. And then Africa's uh, history is full of anecdotal, you know, evidence of uh, proverbs, wise saying, and others that actually shape human behavior, you know, in the world, in terms of education, in terms of peace education among young people, for example. These are all elements that, uh, you know, I think the world can learn, you know, from. And uh, in our region, we are using all those agencies in order to build the infrastructures for peace that we talk about. You've heard about Ubuntu, you know, as an African values. Yeah, you are because I am. Yeah, and then, you know, others. So that that unity of purpose, that collective consciousness and the, each one being the brothers or the sisters keeper is very much fundamental to the whole behavior of the African, you know, society. And I think these are the elements that have not been adequately integrated into global efforts at, uh, you know, peace consolidation and sustaining peace in the world. You know, and I think these are some of the values that uh, I think Africa can bring to the table when it comes to resolving the many, many crises that we have in the world today. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Ambassador Moose, for joining us here on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. It's a a real pleasure having me. Thank you. And that brings us to an end of this episode. We hope you've enjoyed listening. Please do subscribe to us on the platform you're listening to us on 
and do leave a review as that will allow others to find this podcast easier. I've been your host, Yusuf Hassan. Goodbye.